Hey, Ben. Hey, Mike. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I uh, appreciate you uh, sending me this link. I was running around with my head cut off today, just trying to find some Joel Embiid news, but I guess we're just going to have to keep waiting. I guess we're going to have to keep waiting. Yeah, that was a... Look, didn't I say... I mean, I feel bad for... I hope he's not seriously hurt, obviously, but I feel bad on that level. But I I did say before the series that I didn't want the Wizards to win, didn't expect them to win, but I just wanted to make Philly fans panic. Well, I guess we've got our Philly fans panic. Congrats. It doesn't take a lot. It just takes a Joel Embiid, uh, you know, irrational take to the basket to get that going. (laughs) I guess so. Anyway, Ben... uh, I see there's some people in the room who are going to log in. I want to talk about playoff adjustments. Cool. This this week, what are we? What is a playoff adjustment? Welcome, by the way, everyone, to the limited upside live chat. It's the kind of thing we always yell about, like, oh, why won't they change this up, or why won't they change that up, right? And mm-hmm. we don't. I feel like it's sort of a catch-all for a lot of different things that we don't even know, like exactly what the source of some of these adjustments are. But in a series when it plays out, you play all these teams all the time it's the currency of how a series gets evaluated and how it runs. So it's the kind of thing that obviously it's really important, but it's always, it's often hard to know like exactly what the right adjustments are. So that's what I want to talk about today. Um, I know that there was someone who wanted to talk. I lost the speaker request. So if you made it, make it again. Um, But Ben, let's, before that happens, I assume you don't want to talk about the Sixers, do you? No, yeah, I can talk any of the series. I, I'm, okay. I've uh, spent as many um, beautiful outdoor hours as possible not being outdoors and, and watching basketball. So, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So, whatever. okay, can talk about any, any of the series you'd like. I mean, I don't think that's as much of an adjustment series per se as some of the others. But if if the theme here is adjustments, no. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's definitely not an adjustment series. All right, we got another. We got a speaker request. So, uh, Discom Bob, how do I say say this? Uh, it's Discom Bob. Discom Bob, and the and, something. But first of all, before we talk about adjustments, Ben, I just got to yes. say, your team absolutely fleeced us on the Seth Curry Josh Richardson trade, dude. <laughs> Man, I mean. I, that's a topic that we discussed here. I want to say uh, three, four months ago, uh, Josh Richardson's always just one of those things that looks better from afar. I think. Yeah, I know. And I thought it would be good and his defense. And I was like, that's going to help us, but he's not even that good of a defender, honestly. I mean, he's not bad, but he hasn't made our defense any better, but anyways, enough of that. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right. Um, What's uh? What are we thinking? You're a Mavs fan, so I'm guessing you're not a huge fan of how these last two games have gone. No, uh, I mean at the same time, though, I don't think it's really Luca or the coach's fault because I was, a lot of people the other day were getting on Rick Carlisle about putting Boban and you know them just making switches, kind of like how Luca was doing with Zubac. But I mean, you get at a certain point, people got to say, I mean, the Clippers are better than the Mavericks. I mean, I think Luka and Kawhi are neck and neck for being the best player in the series, but when it comes to having a supporting cast like that, I mean, I just don't think the Mavs can. I mean, I think they can, but, I mean, they're just, they just don't have the defenders. I mean, Maxi Kleber is getting obliterated by <laughs> Paul George and Kawhi. Mm-hmm. Dwayne Finney-Smith, he's long and lanky and he's, you know, fast, but it just seems like every dribble step that you know the Clippers do whether it be Paul George Marcus Morris or Kawhi he's getting scored on and 
I just don't know how we're going to stop them. So that's really all I have to say about adjustments. If we can stop them, we have a chance of winning. I think it's interesting that uh, Rick Carlisle is catching strays. Like in some ways, this sort of illustrates the the topic we're discussing here, which is yep. in a series where it goes up and down, and you know the the whole thing changes. It always the coach always gets almost too much credit and too much blame for everything. Where it's yeah. like we're we're scrutinizing the this one substitution in the first quarter and based on a sample of a few possessions, and it's like, well, what is Rick Carlisle doing? But it's also warranted because it's a seven-game series and there's a finite amount of time. But we do this all the time, and we do forget the big picture of, like, yeah, Dallas is probably pretty lucky to be up two games to none. Oh, yeah, 100%. And in Rick Carlisle, I think, is a better coach than Ty Lue. They just have the better team. I mean, their bench is better. I mean, you look at our bench, Jalen Brunson's good, and uh, – we really don't have anybody else coming off the bench that's really helping. I mean, Josh Richardson played good game one and two, and game three and four, five points. I mean, you can't have that. I mean, and, uh, you know, Lucas, I think he's going to be good for Wednesday, but, I mean, they're really going to have to play good defense because the only way they're going to beat the Clippers is if they do what they did in game one and two is outshoot them. I mean, yeah. Because poor Zingas, uh, that I mean, and that's been another hot topic with all the Mavs fans. Is you know we need to get rid of him and all this. And I mean, I'm I'm pretty half and half on it because you know at the same time I don't really think it's his fault. I mean, uh, it seems like he's always working his way back to where he was originally. That's why he's not really getting any better. He's getting hurt, then doing rehab, then getting back, and then he gets back to being good again, and then he gets hurt again. You know, and it's just the cycle that keeps on continuing. And you can tell on his defense. I mean, he's literally getting obliterated. I mean, they have Nicholas Batum out there at the five because they know he can't guard inside. So, I I don't know. They'll have – he'll have to play – he didn't play terrible last game. But, I mean, still, I mean, they're just – I don't know if you sit him. I don't think you can sit him just because he's your second guy. And he's making the most money on the team. I mean (laughs) – I wonder sometimes for, about, for long. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say recalibrating what our expectations are for Porzingis. I think you made a good point there about about injuries constantly kind of he's you know pushing the the boulder up the hill, only to have to push it back up each time. And I, I'm 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 curious what his ceiling is um, given his. We saw it in the bubble last year, man. He, he did. He did. And then he goes and gets hurt. I mean, and. He just he can't really do anything about that, and I, right. mean, I don't know what value you get from him. I mean, there's a team that may take a chance on him, but I mean, I was watching the Wizards game yesterday. I was like, try to get Bradley Beal next to Luca, man. I mean, I got <laughs> Luca. Yeah. yeah, you and thirty other teams, yeah, yeah, including okay. teams that don't exist anymore. <laughs> Obviously, yeah. but I mean, yeah. him and Luca offensively would just be so much better. I mean, and I think right. they would really help each other, but. That's a long shot, though. But I would. So you're you're already waving the right white flag. I mean, it is still like a, a no, tight series. series. So like, I mean, what they did win two in L.A. Like, why can't they win a third? I didn't say they could not. This is just me, you know, overreacting, right. obviously. Sure, but sure. Uh, but yeah, they could win tomorrow, and then I'd be back on it. KP is fine, but I mean, it's just. Right. Uh, 
I just, it's, it's very up and down with this team. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that sort of is the kind of thing that can happen when uh, you do have one guy who controls so much of the offense. And yeah, that, that Seth Curry-Richardson trade, I thought it looked like a win-win at the time, but Richardson is just not... No. Offensively, there's a big drop. It, it just he doesn't he hasn't really fit into their style of play. To me, what what's interesting about this series from an adjustment standpoint is that after the first two games, there was so much talk of well, Dallas has got to fix this pick and roll scheme and that pick and roll scheme, and they can't soft switch on Luca, and they have to trap him or they have to do this and have to do that. And I was very much one of those people. Like right. I just I couldn't understand their game two game plan at all. It was like. Ben, you would appreciate this. Uh, I don't know if you're a soccer fan, but it was like Pep Guardiola in a big game, just yeah. over-adjusting yeah, and over-managing and over-scheming something and just confusing himself. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Just- like, did, you, did you see that Pep played three uh, midfielders, uh, holding midfielders, to two to one in the three consecutive games versus Chelsea? I'm sorry, it was three to two to zero in this past Right. I, yeah. I, yeah. The reference, I made the reference cause, yeah. in part because of what happened over the weekend. But yes, yes. <laughs> um, what's interesting is that the Clippers, I thought their main adjustment was not defensive, it was offensive. Oh, they, yeah. pull, they, pull, they basically said they pulled Zubac off the floor after the first quarter of game three where – I mean, they basically weren't doing anything differently. It was just for – and Luca was just scoring at will on Zubac. Yeah. And then ever since then, so they've pulled those guys out, and they've made mostly offensive adjustments. They have said, we are going at Porzingis. We are going at Tim Hardaway Jr. We are going to target them. We are going to spread the floor. We're going to make it so that – George is attacking downhill, and then Kawhi is just attacking those guys. And you're so spread out, you have no room to to help. And if you're playing the pick and roll traditionally, we've talked Porzingis's problems there. And they're in in the way that is true for the Nets. Like their offense has been their best defense in this series yeah. because they're scoring all the time. They're driving at will. They're getting fouled. Like they're getting whatever shot they want. They yeah. still got problems like on defense. Like Reggie Jackson is still guarding Tim Hardaway. That's yeah. a bad matchup. They're still like, I think they were better, but also Luca got hurt. So I think Luca kind of more stopped himself. And you know the Porzingis thing. Like if you're switching in, your best way to get him going is to maybe duck him in for those turnarounds. But the Clippers will just take those. Yeah, like, and they're okay. going to double him. And he's just not. It's not like he's strong enough either to back them down. I mean, what he does, he's just tall enough to shoot over him. That's why he's able to even make those. If you have Kawhi on him, I mean, it seems like you saw in game one, they put Kawhi on Porzingis so they could kind of eliminate him. And yeah, then, I like that. I thought that was a good idea. And then once Luca, you know, got going in the first two games, I was like, all right, we need to focus on Luca, and, and they did, but I think they realized they just need to focus on all the other role players because they were leaving Tim Hardaway, Finney Smith, and Cleaver all wide open. And I think that's one reason why we were able to take one. That's why I'm a little unoptimistic is because is in game one and two, we were just getting wide open shots and they were just making everybody else beat us. And when we're a good shooting team, I mean, you saw last year, I mean, we were the best offense in the league. And then this year, you know, the Nets. But... Um, no, I, By the way, did you see this stat? I thought of the stat somewhere. There are seven teams in the playoffs who have a better offensive rating than last year's Mavs. It's, wow. it's insane. The The offense is just crazy now. That's crazy. That's amazing. Everybody can shoot now. That's what it is. 
Yeah. And that that's probably something that contributes to and Mike, I know you've been hot on this, but the the splits between home and road winning uh, percentages. And y'all think I fans think, have something to do with that? Maybe fans, you know, maybe defense not being as good because it's so quiet, maybe or I mean most of these arenas are in you know, more of a, a at least over 50% capacity. I think the lowest ones now are probably going to be the Clippers and Lakers and, and yeah, like Portland probably. Yeah, maybe, right? Does do, what's the Wizards? Be. I guess the Wizards increase their capacity yeah, so much so that one fan stormed the court. That was kind of oh, crazy. Man. Just to touch the backboard, too. He didn't even try to touch the rim. What, a, what, a I, what I'm wondering is where was – so so <laughs> That was crazy. Like, <laughs> it was crazy. <laughs> like, but – my wife was watching the game with me, and she was like, where are all the other security guards? Like, why is there only one guy? Like, it's like man coverage on this security guard. Well, I think the players no were about to take him down. I mean, yeah. he got close to Dwight, and that's probably the wrong – Right. Of the many wrong players, that would be a bad one. So, so your question is, like, basically three-point shooting – and home court advantage in the playoffs. I mean, because what's interesting is in the playoffs, it's it, the home team is 500 after yeah. the first – it's literally 500. And – in this series, obviously, the home team is 0-4. Uh, and for Dallas fans, they better hope it's 0-5. Uh, yeah. 0-6 or 0-5, 1-5. So a lot of it was made about Dallas's role players just went cold. Like, they were just hitting everything. That's the problem. Year. Right. So there's some of that. But I think, actually, the that's true. But I also think the Clippers – downsizing had an effect there too because oh, 100%. so one thing that one of the reasons that the, the Mavs were able to get a lot of good looks for their role players in the first two games is that generally speaking there was either Zubac or Ibaka on the floor much of the time or Morris maybe playing the five instead of Batum and so that would give Maxi Kleba a reason to be involved in a pick and roll. He would right. pop and he was making shots I don't think he even got a three off in game four I have to no, look at the numbers didn't. No, so, I mean, right. There's no reason to when you play down now. Like you're just that that entire purpose of Maxi Kleba on offense is taken away, and so obviously his only purpose is on defense, which he's not doing a particularly good job of because Kawhi Leonard's really good. So I, I got I don't remember who had this idea. We were talking about the other night during the game. I know what I would do if I were Dallas is I would start Josh Richardson instead of Maxi Kleber in game five. That's what I've been saying. I mean, and Josh Richardson can kind of – he can D up on Paul George. I don't know about Kawhi, but, I mean, I've seen him throughout the years guard Paul George, and he's done a really good job on him. And then, I mean, Finney Smith can't kill you on Kawhi or, you know, whoever, but you got to do something. He's just – Maxi's just getting cooked out there. And he came back from that COVID thing because he was a decent defender. But he just hasn't looked the same since he's been out with COVID. Right. So, so Noah's saying it's, it's Zubac was not the source of those shots. That's not. I agree. It's not exactly what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that his presence gave Maxi Kleba a purpose. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and that was one guy who was making a lot of shots in the first two games. So you take him off the floor, there is literally no point to Maxi Kleba playing in that starting lineup anymore. <laughs> you know, unless you believe which that he's the best defender. Plus, as Joseph mentioned, he's banged up. He is banged up, and yeah. so every other the the net effect of all of that. Now, because he doesn't have as many openings and other guys don't have as many openings on the ball rotation, you can't run pick and pop with him. He's basically just standing there. So he's just out there for cardio, basically. 
Yeah. So in a weird way, like it sometimes this is what I think is interesting in general. And I, I, I don't know what's going to, that's why I like the, I think one of the things that's interesting about the playoffs is that I don't know if you notice this, Ben, but mm. every series, it tends to get smaller, right? Generally speaking, like by game one, you're starting your normal lineups. And then by the slowly, <laughs> but surely you play more smaller players or, Players with smaller skills, right? Well, it's like Is that the like Lakers the Lakers last year against the Rockets? I mean, you got to learn to go small, and then against bigger teams, you go big. I mean, and that's one thing about the Clippers is they're able to do that. And for us, we just can't well, do that because they're just so much better. It also, it, it's so much of it is you don't get to decide your personnel going into the playoffs, but the matchups dictate which personnel you use. And so, yep. you know, if if you look at, and I think it's a like I think you're spot on. Like I, you look at what happened last year in the playoffs. It that's it, it's like a an uber persuasion, like an uber version of that, right? Because the Heat essentially wanted to play Bam at five and then put four equally sized players around them, Dragic being the shortest at 6'3", and the next tallest being like 6'6". Six, six. So, you know, a pretty similar size, which ultimately is the best possible way for the Lakers to succeed because then, you know, Anthony Davis can be the big guy on the court without having to really play center. Um, that obviously, you know, that's a Kawhi Leonardism too. Kawhi is a much bigger player than he is height. Uh, he he plays the most. He's broad. He's physical, and mm-hmm. Kawhi has a, a way of making people or who are around the same size as him look and feel smaller on. The oh floor. yeah, and Maxi Kleber's six ten. I mean, he's yeah. not little. No, no right. not at all. Right. And he's not a plus bad it, athlete. He's a good athlete. Yeah. Plus, there are all these cross matches that are issues. Yeah. I mean, I think in general, one of the reasons that you have this smaller series tend to get smaller as you go along is that one, despite what coaches say they're most concerned about how you how are we going to score points? Yep. Like, despite what they say about defense, like I, I'm telling you, they're just, their first concern is like, how are we going to score? The other thing is, is that it just creates, there's a domino effect to the best way to, when one team downsizes, now it almost doesn't make sense to stay big in the same way. Yeah. Because again, even if Zubac is playing well, which I think Zub, this isn't really about Zubac's no, quality. it's not. But if you're playing small, your choices are basically dare Nick Batum to hit a bunch of shots yeah. or take him out. But if you dare Nick Batum to take a bunch of shots, there are a lot of downstream effects of that. You know, it's not like Nick Batum is just going to shoot the first semi-open three he has. Like he's going to move the ball. There's going to be all sorts of cross matches. There's going to be he also sort of take away a function of him of the big offensively if you have good enough defenders. And so it ends up being so that the the next move that makes sense is for you to downsize too, <laughs> for you to get more skill on the floor, yeah, uh, for you to get more guys. And so that, the Porzingis that, at the five, it, it just sucks because he's not as fast and small as all those other guys because our our small five is, I think it would go Luca, uh, Jay Rich, Tim Hardaway, Dorian, and then uh, KP. And KP is just so much slower than that, and, you know, small five. And he doesn't want to play big. I mean, that's you saw it yesterday in the Sixers game. Like the Wizards got away with putting Ish Smith on Tobias Harris because Tobias yeah. Harris doesn't want to play big. It depends yeah. on the player, you know, in a world where that's Anthony Davis, 100%. Getting, you know, getting guarded by a small, he's going to go figure out how to get low. And same thing with Joel. You can't make that personnel switch um, a real big that is. And so it is. Um, yeah, it is interesting that we don't that we, you so rarely see upsizing in a playoff series, mm, though, as we I don't go. Get it. You don't get what in general, just that that we don't see upsizing. We oh, I don't see why KP doesn't use that to his advantage and get in the paint because. I've seen him do it before. It's just 
I don't know if it's Rick Carlisle putting him out at the three-point line or him not wanting to tear his knee or uh, <laughs> ACL or whatever, but, I mean, it's something with him. I mean, because he can do work inside. He just doesn't want to. Yeah, no, Noah is right. It's sort of his center of gravity. So yeah, if yeah. he is posting, but the other thing too, even if you just zoom out about it, like for him to go inside, like what is the mechanism that he gets inside? You yeah. can't dribble inside because he's bit, it, that sort of defeats the purpose. Like in a weird way, it, it's weird to think of it this way, but you do now. It's worth thinking about this way in basketball. You don't. You have to travel some way whether it's moving people or moving the ball or both mm-hmm. you have to travel from the perimeter to the inside yeah. you don't need to travel from the perimeter to the perimeter there's distance to cover and so there are a couple mechanisms that you can use uh mm-hmm. joe has a good question how many minutes would you guys play uh kp oh this is this 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 goes along with this so one of the things that the maps tried to do is they would have KP set a ball screen for Luca. Luca would try to almost induce a trap, or he would swing it really quickly to the wing. I forget who's on the wing. And then KP would roll down the lane, and basically this was the old Dwight Howard with Stan Van Gundy thing. He would roll down the lane, and then he'd turn and duck in and shoot, and the wing guy would throw the ball to him for a quick turnaround. Yeah. Now that's a good counter, but if you're going to do that every time, that's a lot of stuff that you have to coordinate to get what a twelve foot bank shot. Yeah, and he needs to mix it up a little bit better too. Like instead of just posting up, I mean, I don't. He's seven three. I don't know why he doesn't work on like a good hook shot. I mean, you don't have to. I mean, you got to be a little more physical, obviously, but he could work on like a hook shot where he's not having to sit there and shoot over somebody every time and fade away. What? Why? Why does he need a hook shot if he can just turn around and shoot over you? I, I don't understand that. Yeah, you got me there. I, it's just me wanting him to get on the boards more, I think, more than, you know, that. Because I think – and he doesn't rebound that well. I mean, he averaged like nine rebounds this season. But in the playoffs, I mean, I saw right. uh, Faku Composo had, had more rebounds than Porzingis in the playoffs. I mean, it's hard to get rebounds when they're all bouncing out to the free throw line. <laughs> yeah. I guess if he's there anyway. Um Question from Joe. I don't know what you think about this, Ben, uh, or or Discombob, but these bench. Sorry, did I say that wrong? No, you got it. Go ahead. Okay. All right. Do you bench KP? In in a weird like, does that help you? Um, they sort of did at different points. I mean, putting Boba in the game early was for Porzingis. It wasn't for foul trouble. Yeah. How many minutes did he play in game? Uh, Joe says, you think with their, like, a transition game, Dallas could do more crashing of the glass. Um, yeah, like, so would you – how much would you play Porzingis? Like, is it a kind of thing where you should not play him? I'm curious what you guys think. I mean, I, I have a thoughts on it too, but I, like, who – would you not play him as much in this um, series? I mean – you just got to decide who you're going to put at that five position. I mean, I I guess you would go Kleber, Finney-Smith, Richardson, Hardaway, and Luca, and then have him come off the bench and be that offensive burst maybe whenever Zubak or a big man decides to come into the game. But I, I really don't know. I mean, he's he can be good offensively, but he hasn't scored above 20 points in any of these games. So I, I don't know if it's worth it to, you know, play him. I mean, sitting him – is definitely going to piss him off, but he may have to understand. I mean, these guys are just 
too quick and fast for me. So, yeah, I'm not sure they have the right options to actually have to make that decision. Um, no, exactly. It's not like good. we have a bunch of what the Clippers have. They have a bunch of good defenders that are six, eight, and above. I mean, we'd be, we would probably still get tormented inside. So, what do you think, Mike? I I think that you can't, and I think part yeah. of the problem is that. And this isn't necessarily Mavs' fault, fans' fault, but I think it, it's one of those things where you have to keep in mind the whole structure rather than focusing too much on how the outputs are generated. Like, how many points is Porzingis uh, shooting? How many uh, scoring? How many rebounds is he getting? Porzingis himself. This is a series where, again, let's say if you're only on the Clippers' terms, like you need to score more points. Like you oh, yeah. cannot, you cannot beat them scoring. What are they scoring game four? Four eighty one, ninety one. Yeah, you you have no chance. Like your only no. chance, it's a tempo series. You, if your only chance, and they basically said we're gonna we're gonna try to beat you with offense. Your only chance is if you're the team that is scoring more efficiently in the half court. Yeah, 100%. that's your only chance. And Porzingis, despite everything we've talked about about how frustrating he is, when they he's can score, pop- right? Well, when he's popping to the three point line. Whoever is guarding him is still hesitating for a second. Yeah. He's still, like, kind of pausing. Like, one of the things that I thought was interesting in game four that this sort of shows a little bit, like, kind of the additional impact that just having Porzingis' presence on the floor makes is that Jalen Brunson didn't get into the game until, like, the 10-minute mark of the first – or 10 minutes into the game. And usually Brunson and KP are kind of a package deal. They have, like, their little stuff that they do. But, you know, the Boban sub – by taking Porzingis out, you've not only perhaps messed up Porzingis's confidence, but you've now also messed up Jalen Brunson's rhythm. Yeah. And Jalen Brunson is potentially a really key player in order to get offense, where his ability to kind of play off. Now, I, I know he's not playing as well as he had been earlier in the season, Jalen Brunson, but his ability to play off of just Porzingis's movement and presence and just threat, that's another way to score. And you're going to have defensive problems for sure. I think part of the solution there is you're just going to have to live with it and just get a little bit more pressure on the ball so that when you're setting a screen and roll at KP and he, the guard, the, the star's not coming downhill super fast. Yeah. So it's a little more manageable. But to me, like, I actually think that, you know, in a way, the, the sub of Boban was like, I guess, a good change of pace, but it kind of had more negative effects than positive. It's another. Oh, yeah. It's another example of how adjustments can sometimes, if you try to over-adjust, you kind of, everything is connected to each other. You turn, all the strands are work. Well, yeah, and with that KP pick and pop, like you said, and the reason why, because him and Luca, I don't, I don't know what stat it was, but they had like the highest efficient pick and roll or pick and pop or pick for those two picking for each other, something like that. But the reason why that the offense hasn't really been working between those two is they put Kawhi on KP and then the Clippers are switching everything. So right. every time, you know, KP comes and sets his pick, Kawhi goes and gets on Luka and then it's just it's a harder shot right there. Yeah. Then, but also the Clippers are bad are not always clean switchers. No, they're not. <laughs> we saw that last year too. Right. So you may as well like just try keep doing that and and like that's one of your best ways because if Luka gets a little advantage, then he's able to turn that into a big advantage. And so if I were Dallas, I would go the opposite way. I would play Porzingis more. I would not worry stress about his own numbers. I'd honestly um, go bigger. I'd put Dwight Powell instead of Maxi Kleber in there. What do you think about that? 
Who does so? I think who does Dwight Powell guard? Um, probably and, the worst, the worst offensive player on the court, or or like I said, go Tim Hardaway, Jay Rich, and Dorian Finney-Smith. I mean, those are the only three options. Right. That's the one I like more because not only who does Powell guard, but then who does Porzingis guard if you're playing him with And the Powell. only reason I'm saying that is Kleber. I mean, this guy said no. I mean, Kleber has been terrible, but, I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe he'll have a better game, but he's just been terrible defensively. Yeah, no, look, it, these are the tough challenges you run into when you're less talented. There's there's no question. Um, I actually think also maybe if you take Kleber out, he can be a better backup center than – Boban or Cauley Stein. Uh, no, it's tough, but uh, that's what I would do with Porzingis. Um, anything else on this series um, before I, we talk about some other ones? Oh, no, you're all good, man. Thanks for having me. Ben, anything Thanks else on this series? No, all good. This was, uh, this was thorough. Appreciate the uh, the uh, the call in there. Yeah, for sure. I'll take it easy. Yeah, Super. thanks for calling in. Um, looks like the chat is starting to pop. Now, Ben, looks like we got plenty of people in here. Again, as you see there, we take speaker requests. We're talking about adjustments mm-hmm. and the fickle nature of adjustments in series. Um, ben, what's, what, the, what's the, what's, can you, may I ask you, Mike, what's the series with the, uh, the biggest adjustment so far? I thought it was that Mavs Clippers series, actually. So that worked yeah. out pretty well. Um, okay. What's two? I've talked a lot about what's going on in Atlanta, New York. Mm-hmm. In a, in a lot of places uh, where I think the Knicks are being criticized for not adjusting, not putting more pressure on Trey Young defensively. People who said that that was a Hawks series and I was trying to kind of explain, talk myself into them attacking Trey Young and all this stuff, like, y'all were right. <laughs> the, the, y'all were right. I was wrong. I, I fell too much, uh, you know, in love with this Knicks team. And I didn't think about the talent differential, but what's interesting about this series is that this series is really about two is about two things. The Hawks having answers for Julius Randall and the Knicks having no answers for Trey young. And, Oh, I see. You've got a request here. Uh, someone, let's see, go take your victory. Oh no, I lost a, I lost a request. Anyway. Um, that to me is like sort of what, what it comes down to. And I mean, for two teams that have the exact same record in the regular season, it seems odd. It seems odd on the surface that one star is like totally being locked up and there's no way to free him. And the other one is being doing whatever he wants. So there's no way to defend him, but yeah. that seems to be what's playing out in this series. I think uh, a couple things. One, everyone's getting exposed to Bogdanovich. Um, I, I, he's really good. I mean, he's playing a much more complete series than um, I'd argue that I think we talked about this a little bit, Mike, but the Hawks probably, uh, and this is not to discredit the season that Julius Randle has had, but the Hawks probably have the three best players in this series. If you put Bogdanovich and, and Capella and Trey together, um, you could argue that Julius Randle fits in there and Derek Rose has played great. Um, although Tibbs is probably taking about two to three seasons off the back end of Derrick Rose's career uh, in this series, but that's neither here nor there. Because Tibbs, <laughs> Tibbs already took the first uh, decade of his career. Uh, no, so, um, but no, um, it's, it's the thing where like, you, you look at the talent difference, the shot makers around them. Uh, it's a win anytime that Reggie Bullock is taking an 18 to 23 footer uh, with a guy running out on him. It's, it's probably a win if Nerlens Noel is having to play offense of any capacity and he's a great defender, but you know, these, these kind of, uh, 
the role player marginalization of the Knicks is so much more drastic than it is for the Hawks who have guys who can create shots and guys who who very much know how to play off of Trey and Capella's gravity. And they each have their own different type of gravity. But Bogdanovich is, in my opinion, he's the real X factor in this series. I think he's played out like that. And uh, and I've also been pretty impressed with his defense as well. I think he's been like, um, I, I didn't, I think, I think a lot of folks don't watch a whole lot of Sacramento Kings basketball and the Hawks this year had been essentially two seasons in one, three if you count all the different injuries they've had. Yeah, um, it's been a weird season for them. So, yeah. So maybe the Hawks were supposed to be a four seed and the Knicks were supposed to be an eight or nine after having played really well. And what you're seeing is a, a talent difference play out in series form, which, you know, the, the team with the best two, three best players usually wins. It's, it's kind of how basketball works. Yeah. I mean, I think it's something I didn't. Yeah, no, but I think that's the problem that I had is that I maybe didn't oversimplify it to that degree. Um, you write a lot about the gravity of other players. What? A, so to me, like, it's not a huge surprise, although I was – I didn't – I thought that maybe it wouldn't happen in this matchup, but I, I think we've talked about this. To me, it's not a huge surprise that Julius Randle is struggling like crazy. Mm-hmm. And it's not a huge surprise to see why he struggled like crazy. They're flooding his line of sight – they're pushing him to certain spots on the floor. They're helping off certain guys, and they're not scared of the Reggie Bullocks trying to take advantage of Trey Young on defense. And mm-hmm. they're using Capella as a roamer, and all of that kind of makes sense to me. Uh, it also makes sense why the Knicks have been less successful at. So Jack said it was predicted as a bad matchup. Well, I I thought it'd be a good matchup because I thought. They could get at Young better than they have. They did win three in, in the regular season, and there was no obvious primary defender on Randall. But what I didn't really think about as much as I should have was the Capel factor uh, was the lack of playmaking. But in general, though, the offensive side of the ball for the Knicks is playing out a, a little worse than I thought it would, but kind of how I thought it would. What's been more surprising to me is just how easy it's been for Trey Young. Yeah. And do you, do you think it's entirely because of the better teammates he has? I I'm just not sure. I didn't I didn't I, I guess I thought that both those guys would struggle. And instead only mm-hmm. instead one has been amazing and the other has been terrible. Uh <laughs> why is it entirely just that the the Hawks have better players around Trey? I, There's something with the Knicks and their inability to adjust to Trey's game that has really hurt them. Yeah, I, I think Trey is also taking, and this might seem crazy because Trey is a very good, difficult shot taker and maker, or at least taker, but in this series, maker. Um, he's taking easier shots. He's getting to spots where he's more efficient. Randall's being forced into situations where normally he wouldn't have been an efficient scorer. During the regular season, he outperformed significantly what you would expect his percentages would be from, I think, like 15 to 18 and then 18 to 22. Uh, all of his percentages were out of control, actually, you know, as a 40% mm-hmm. three-point shooter from a 31% career. Like, there was no real uh, – regression was probably going to happen. Do we think it would happen in this type of – in this type of series the way it has? Not necessarily sure. I think Randall's taken even more difficult shots and missed probably uh, around the percentage you would anticipate him in a, in a, you know, in a vacuum. And Trey is mm-hmm. getting to spots where he can be more efficient and making them. On top of that, you know, look, Trey always has a perfect roller and at least two other people who can 
who can hit threes around him. The, the court spacing makes a lot of sense. Knicks want to play in a box, and, and they're essentially opening that up to a much larger court. You know, And Trey in a big court with a good rim runner, a couple three-point shooters around him, is that's good NBA offense. And he's, to his credit, I think he's amazing at keeping his dribble. Trey is very good at, at, at drawing fouls, and I think got into the heads of the Knicks defensively. You know, scheme matters, but so does the player himself. And like mm-hmm. Trey rising to the occasion – kind of becoming a bit of a heel, but doing so in a really skilled sense. Um, it's just, it's, it's good theater and he's played a heck of a series. Now, obviously there's still, you know, they could, Knicks could come to the garden tonight, take the energy, win the game. I don't think they're going to win the series. And judging by the way, the last, I think it's over. It's probably, yeah, it's probably, I think it's over. I, I, at some point in game three, I was like, yeah. God, what the hell was I thinking about this? This is <laughs> I mean, way simpler than I made it seem. Like, it's just something like about that. You had said, you know, months ago, uh, I believe, at least a month or two ago, that you know Randall was going to hit a wall in the playoffs because teams would just be keying on him. You know, specifically I know. making. You know, I know. Making, I know. I didn't listen. Out. I didn't listen to myself. It's true. Yeah. So Jack makes a good point about Derrick Rose's point of attack defense. I, I do think you're right, actually, that there is like a psychological element, though, to all this, and. It's actually, to me, kind of comes back to – I looked this stat up earlier. During the regular season, Trey shot about one 30-footer a game, maybe a little more, mm-hmm. right? So for this image of Trey as like this like audacious long shooter, he was down to about one a game, not nearly as much as a guy like Lillard. In this series, it's a, he's shot 10 in four games. Hmm. So I kind of think that he's presented that as a threat in a way that has just totally scrambled everything the Knicks do on defense, where all whatever their their scheme is, whoever they're playing on him, like because they've they've had a lot of different guys guard Trey. Uh, yeah, he's right that Derrick Rose is Jack's right that Derrick Rose. I don't think has been very good, but they've also they started with Payton. They had Neil Akina for like that one player. Now they've got Reggie <laughs> Bullock on him. Yep, uh, and you're getting the same problems. I think that there is something about the effective space that Young has added to his game that has just stretched the Knicks beyond belief in a way yeah. that they their system, the Tibbsian style of play, uh, is de- predicated on certain rules and certain kind of things that each of these guys do. Certain triggers for you come this high when this happens. The guard is going to come off this. We have to tag the roller at this time, all of this. And just the fact that he's now willing to take the long shots has just totally screwed all that up. And the point, of, like, it starts at the point of attack where it's like the guard, the guy guarding Trey, he's losing him very easily. Yeah. And that puts the big in a bad spot. And now there's way more space for him to exploit. And then if you don't, help capella gets a dunk or john collins gets a dunk um but then if you over help off the shooters which has happened because tibbs's scheme calls for that weak side guy to kind of come into the lane early it's literally like it's a pass that any point guard can make i mean trey's making them with flair but it's not a hard read to shoot the ball of the corner to bogdan bogdanovich or kevin herter yeah you know shooters yep great shooters so So I think um, I think that's a huge factor psychologically. It's like once you open up like kind of the threat and Matt 
Matt said this really well in the chat. It's demoralizing when he hits one of those. It's demoralizing when Steph Curry hits one of those. And so that lingers in your head and it just totally screws up your attention to detail and everything else. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it makes you question if you, if there is a proper way to defend them. Um, and obviously last game was one of those. The Hawks are good at this too. They have um, like an avalanche effect because the way they shoot the three, because it's, it's dunks and threes, right? It's, it's like mm-hmm. uh, they can really go on a run. And especially because the Hawks also have been playing, you know, to Nate McMillan's credit. Um, and the Knicks are not overly difficult to scheme against defensively. I think they've probably effectively played one scheme this entire series, Um uh, yeah, they haven't had to do much else. They haven't had to make that adjustment defensively uh, at all, right? But that being said, it's it's when you're stopping a team who effectively needs to go through one guy, you're rebounding well because Collins and Capella are, you know, like, I mean, not Collins, not as much, but Capella specifically. I think people are realizing how much of a of a good basketball player he is, and I think he had been marginalized in how people thought about him because of the way that he left and uh, was ousted, if you will, from, from Houston. Um, Absolutely. You know, he's still a really good player. Um, And probably, you know, I'm trying to think in the Eastern conference, is he the second best center left in the playoffs? Yeah, I guess, I guess now that uh, Bam is out probably. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, you know, so he's, so he's a good player. Um, But that being said, it's like you watch them, go on those runs and you think, wow, it's going to be so hard for the Knicks to overcome an eight right. point deficit, let alone a 15. Like they just don't have that type of firepower. And then they know that, you know, Tibbs knows that. Um, and so these games got, you know, that game got out of hand quick. I wonder how tonight will go. I'm sure it'll be emotional. Is it tonight? Yeah, it's tonight, right? No, it's uh, it's Wednesday actually. Uh, uh, so weirdly, they have a, to break. Have you ever thought to yourself, Hey, this podcasting thing, it doesn't seem so hard. I could totally do better than these limited upside bozos. I mean, Mike rambles way too much. Ben kind of rambles way too much, too. Can we stop talking about the Wizards and how terrible they are? And the 76ers, God, I'm so tired of the process. Like, Jesus, I could do so much better. My friends and I talk about basketball way better than these two idiots. Well, lucky for you, because we have a program that may allow you to achieve your very attainable dream. It's time to talk to you about hosting your own podcast with our distributor, Blue Wire Pods. There's no better place to host than Blue Wire Hustle. Blue Wire Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or, if you want to host a podcast, know you could do a lot better than us, and you just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, which are definitely not Ben and I, but there are a lot of other really cool ones like the, the folks at Spinsters. They're pretty damn good. You might get a Q&A with them. Access to our community Discord and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. The best part is... You can get all of this for only $15 a month. That's the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So you get all the other cool stuff alongside with it. So if you're ready to do much more than just listening to me and Ben talk about God knows what in the NBA BSing like we do, then make your voice heard in Blue Wire Hustle. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. 
To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. And you can check out the description box in this episode to find out more. But that's bwhustle.com slash join. Noah talks uh, about Philly and the Hawks. I yeah. Is it too early to look ahead to that matchup? I guess the question is like, it depends on Embiid's injury, but I actually think it's going to be a really interesting matchup if it happens and Embiid's healthy. Um, but I think you're totally right too. It's like the Knicks, it's like everything is hard and everything for them is easy. And that just has yeah. a cascading effect. The only way the Knicks can, to beat that. Yeah. Joe's right. You, you know, they can't draw Clint out of the paint. And, you know, part the reason is because they're always playing a center. Yep. And yep. one of the, one of the centers has a bad day, bad foot. The other one, Jumps as high as you and I. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I agree with Jack. I think Sixers Hawks is like a long series. Like I don't think that's a good matchup for Philly. If him, even if Embiid is yeah. healthy, it's weird. They, uh, you know, they've played. Uh, they played twice towards the end of the year, but Bogdanovich missed. I want to say both games, and Sixers. I think sat Joel for one of them. Um, yeah, it's an interesting matchup. You know, it, it's one of those things where Ben is going to probably have to guard Trey, but the Sixers didn't show him that matchup at all this year. They put Danny Green on him in, in the regular season games. Um, I also think Joel does a really good job of getting most other centers in foul trouble. And when the Hawks without Capella on the court, they're that's a good point. Team. That's a really you know, good point. That's a, that's something worth highlighting and repeating. Like yeah. so much of what the Hawks have done well in the Knicks series has been about Capella, but if he's not yeah. in the game, they are vulnerable, especially defensively. Exactly. And, and you know, it's one of those things where they've gotten the right contributions from other players in this series. You're probably seeing the best possible version in a great matchup of the Hawks and the Sixers and, and Wizards. You're, you're not going to learn a whole lot from that. Sixers are playing 10 or 11 guys a game still. Um, hopefully Joel's OK. Obviously, all this is predicated upon his health. Can they can they beat the Wizards at home and, and advance the next round without Joel? Probably. But would they have an opportunity to beat the Hawks? Probably not. I mean, they're 10 and 11 on the year without Joel. And fundamentally, just aren't that good of a team. Yeah. Um, Doc yeah. won't Doc won't use Ben anything other than the, the dunker spot. That's a whole other conversation. Mike but, Scott minutes. I mean, Mike Scott. Get ready. All you, know, all you have to know about Doc Rivers is that he would rather lose with Mike Scott, or I can't even think of the Mike Scott equivalent on the Clippers last year. But I'm sure they have Mike one. Scott. <laughs> was it Mike Scott again? Well, like back when he was with yeah. the Clippers, it was Mike Scott. Was Maybe Mike not Scott. last year, but but the, the point is like uh, Patrick anyway, Patterson. Patrick, Patrick Patterson. Patterson. He's better than Mike Scott, but yes. Um, so, yeah, that's going to be a really interesting series. It's definitely got a lot of stylistic um, differences. Like, look, our point guard can't take uh, is is six foot ten, and essentially is minimized on offense. Their point guard is the entirety of their offense, but could potentially be a liability on defense if we do it correctly. If the Sixers do it correctly, not we them. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, look, I'm, I'm that'd be Nate McMillan versus Doc Rivers. That's like a coaching matchup from 15 years ago that, that could have happened so interesting to see how both of them have progressed and the way they think about the game but i'm not willing to go there yet man i have to hear a legit yeah i know on on joel and um and, and I, I do think there's an opportunity for the Wiz to win another game if, if joel's out or, or more if uh, if joel is actually uh banged up and and that play was super awkward i've you know zabruder filmed that uh, a thousand times already i think i sent it to you last night maybe while you were sleeping mike um the, which one you know, the, just the video I took on, I slowed it down like 15 different angles of his knee. And there's some awkwardness to it. I think he's, I don't think it's a, a severe type thing. I'm not a doctor. It didn't look like 
how severe injuries occur. But, right. You know, anytime you have a type of injury where you fall on something and that's what initially hurts, but the other thing is what actually is hurt, that's kind of alarming. Um, and so you do. You know, was it a tailbone or was it was it what was the actual injury? He, like that he, he fell on his his butt lower back area, but but his knee, his right foot hit the ground just right. a little bit before. Oh, right his, knee soreness. Okay. Yeah, so that, yeah that's a little that's a little bit worrying for sure. And um, you saw something similar. I mean, I'm not remember when Kevin Durant had like what was the quote unquote calf strain, but it looked like it yeah. was something else. Yeah, I hope that doesn't happen. <laughs> Sorry yeah. for throwing that thought in your head. No, but, no, um, okay. Okay. And we should um, say that that uh, your Davis Burton's also had a second degree uh, sprain or strain or whatever of his calf. He's out for the rest of the series, and he was really good yesterday before he got hurt. Yeah. Despite, um, despite being really bad in some of the other games. Yeah, just to, to close the loop on this Hawks Philly yeah. talk, because uh, there are a couple of interesting comments. Uh, yeah. One was uh, about Seth Curry targeting Trey Young. I think that is definitely a huge factor. I've been really, I think if, if you're a Sixers fan, I don't know, he's banged up too, right? Like, but so I think you not, have to, yeah. you have to love the way he's been playing. I mean, Unfortunately, the Hawks will not have Davis Bertans on him. <laughs> um, but yeah. I think you have to love the way he's been playing, his ability to operate as a screener and a peeler offer mm-hmm. in those actions. The The thing about targeting Trey and the reason it's not working for New York is that you have to give him a reason to switch onto Julius Randle or to switch onto mm. whoever. And when Reggie Bullock is pulling away, Trey can just hedge and then just sprint out to recover. And if Bullock steps in, he's looking at a shrunk floor because Rose is on one side and Taj Gibson is in front of him. So it's not like that's a threat that really scares you. Curry can do a whole lot more with the ball. So I agree that that's a huge factor. What will be interesting to see is if, if Ben Simmons is not involved in that action, do, do you still then have the problem of when Trey hedges, can Atlanta shrink the floor if, everywhere else? That'll be interesting. Right. And then are yeah. you worried? And then last one, this has been a discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they don't. Yeah. Some, do the 76ers kind of have the space to get him on an island? I think it's a good question. I think potentially, yes. Yeah. More than the Knicks do. But I think there are some similar. I think they have to engineer it effectively. Um, so, yeah, the Sixers will have. In the, just in their starting five, four capable three-point shooters, one of which is Joel Embiid, so assuming he's healthy. I think they have enough. Guys. Yeah, I think, I think they have enough. But they do have to be careful how they – I think they have to be purposeful how they do it, and luckily I think they have been. So I think that will be good yeah. for them. The what This is an interesting question, though, too, is about are the, is Joel going to struggle with the combination of coming out to Trey and then bouncy bigs slipping yeah. behind him? How worried are you about that element? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I am concerned about that. I, I especially now that he has a, a right knee issue, and I think Jackson said there appropriately, this could be some compensatory relationship to his left knee bone bruise. And Joel's always been a guy who's his body's just he's so big, and he. I, I was thinking about this last night as I was trying to fall asleep when I was having trouble because I was concerned about Joel Embiid's health. Uh, very healthy, <laughs> healthy. Very, the sports thing very is mentally healthy for me. Um, the no, sports, that, sports falling, being a fan of sports seems like a really well, healthy, smart thing to then, do. The Nuggets fans, Nuggets fans should be so excited and happy that their center will never do anything athletically to hurt himself. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean that in the most positive, amazing way. It's like, 
is that Jokic is probably the MVP of the league and he's having an incredible season. And with everything that makes him that good, Mike, he could do that for 15 more years and never have to go outside of his comfort zone. Whereas, like, Joel, like, gets these. Damn it, Joel. Why do you jump? Why do you jump, Joel? You can see it, Mike. You can see it in the previous game. Joel gets in these spaces where he's so good. His talent is almost limitless. He starts, like, going almost like, you know, a huge his ball handling. He's going between the legs, crossover. He's. He's, you know, one hand whipping passes and you can see his confidence rising. And in my head, I'm thinking he's a moment away from trying to overextend himself on a dunk. And he did it twice in in game four uh, where he went up for huge dunks. And every time he goes up for those huge dunks, when you're 300 pounds and seven foot one, landing is the next thing that hurts you. It's not the dunking. It's not it's it's landing. And well, that's what happened here. I mean, look at, yeah, like, look at his injury this time. He's making a, like, kind of a move that a guy that's, like, way smaller than him should make. He's trying to finish uh, through, or, like, around Robin Lopez with his opposite, jumping off his opposite foot. foot. I mean, that's, uh, it's remarkable that he can make that move. But, yeah, Yeah. 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 unfortunately. A victim of your own skill and and, and, and athleticism. But It's uh, a very, very clever way to kind of make the case that Jokic, that, that Embiid is better than Jokic. I like no, that no, you no, slipped no. that in. That's not, it's the <laughs> or the, backhand, the backhanded compliment you're giving Jokic yeah, here. Like, it's a backhanded it, compliment, but it's a real compliment. Like, credit <laughs> to Jokic for being able to stay on the floor constantly without getting injured because he's never putting himself in a place to take a friggin' fall from two feet above the rim. Um Anyhow, you heard it here first here, jumping, the skill that gets you, that, that's a yeah. problem in the NBA. Uh, I'm, I'm old enough to remember you writing a whole piece on landing uh, for SB Nation. So uh, it's not I didn't write that. That was Tim Cato. I, oh, I, Tim Cato. I edited that. I okay. I pitched it. Well, did I pitch it him? No, he had the idea in first, yeah. and I helped him fine-tune it. Um, Anyhow, the art of landing. Uh, yeah, it's true. Uh, do you want to talk about any other series I uh, yeah. out there? I yeah. What do you Let's think? Do Have you been watching? Walk- yeah, Portland Denver is tonight, so I want to. I don't want to go too heavy on that. Just because uh, tonight. some people. Yeah. One thing I will say about that series is um, mm. Blazers fans are like, I said something along the lines that Game Three after Game Three, I was like, they were right there. They really shouldn't change much up, and Blazers fans was like, oh, good. Terry Stotts never changes anything, so this is great. <laughs> and then what do you know? <laughs> um, uh, Joe, Lakers Suns been covered. Uh, we haven't talked about Lakers Suns yet. I also, also tonight, yeah. also tonight. So I want to also that's a weird adjustment series because like so many guys are partially hurt. The one thing I'll say about that series is Phoenix rediscovered that they need to get the ball up the court fast in Game Four, <laughs> and that was a huge key to their success. Yep. Um, but yeah, and then and then Portland doesn't really change a whole lot. I, they they ran some more things for Norman Powell. There's a really good video on Blazers Edge about this by our guy Danny Morang. Uh, they got him more involved, but generally speaking, like as it turned out, like the shots stopped falling <laughs> from yep. Denver, and they started falling. So actually. That was smart. Uh, sometimes the best adjustment is no adjustment. It's true. Yeah, I, I know both those games are are tonight, but I, I would like to get you know you just you hit on it real quick. Um, Phoenix picking up the tempo, getting earlier shots in the shot clock. Um, Chris Paul looking healthier. I I, I wonder and and look, I've um, I, I could say I've watched a lot of Lakers uh, as I live in Los Angeles, and I, I'm I'm kind of subject to their sports media ecosystem out here and the fear around an Anthony Davis list team, despite still having LeBron is, is pretty palp- palpable. Like you can, you can feel the anxiety 
after that injury. And I think maybe it has partially, uh, partially something to do with the fact that people know Anthony Davis is not a particularly quick healer and that his body, again, compensatory issues are real. You hurt your Achilles, your groin, all these things are related. I, I don't know if necessarily this specific injury is you know, a one-off, but I, I wonder if this is the type of injury and the type of momentum, specifically with Chris Paul looking a little bit healthier last game, I mean, a lot healthier last game. If Phoenix wins tonight and they win this series without the ability for Anthony Davis to to impact the rest of the games, I mean, if it's two more games, that could be two games without Anthony Davis. Yeah, it's not good. Um, the one silver lining for for the Lakers is that they now they get, they they can actually prepare for Anthony Davis not being in there. It doesn't just sure. happen to them surprisingly. I think they were really thrown off by that injury, and it took them a really long time until they finally found like kind of a lineup that worked with. Uh, Gasol, Wes Matthews, uh, Schroeder, and Caruso with LeBron. Now they kind of know, like, okay, Davis is just not going to be there, so we need to just spam the hell out of LeBron stuff. Um, so I think that will help them out a lot. Uh, do, you, do you think Trez plays? I, so this is interesting with the <laughs> with the center rotations, right? So Drummond starting, okay. I assume that they're they they started to play Marcus Gasol, who I think in most matchups would make a lot more sense, and he did. I think he made sense down the stretch uh, with the lineup they had, but I do wonder if you need offense and you're playing maybe like I think Harold should be playing on those LeBron second unit lineups in this series and not Gasol. Hmm. Gasol to me makes sense as like a closer with LeBron or. Uh, you play him when LeBron has to rest. But I actually think that maybe now that you don't have AD, you do play Trez uh, a little bit. Um, but so the CP thing, the CP3 thing, the idea, first of all, like I don't think he's 100% healthy yet either. Like I, he still looks kind of weird on some shots. Like it definitely doesn't look 100%. But the, the thing about, the pushing of the pace, like that's entirely tied to CP3 playing better. Cause who's the pace pusher? Yeah. yeah of <laughs> like course. who's the guy pushing it up and and that's CP. And he just looked much more like CP3 with his control of the game. Yep. You know? Yeah. I mean, that's, I think you have two of the best all time uh, you know, tempo setters in the series and LeBron and Chris Paul and, and yeah. one who wins the tempo battle each game. Uh, and obviously there's a lot of variables in that, um, you know, that that's the team likely to win. I, I also think you can't overlook, and this is, you know, something we haven't touched on yet, but I think everyone else has seen like, you know, Aiton's been the best big man in this series outside of probably yeah. half of one game that AD played. And that's, that means a lot. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, so there's, there's a lot of things to play. This is a huge game. I love that we have at least a couple two, two, series right now uh, i like the you know they're both tonight so unfortunately we're not gonna be able to talk too in depth about them do you have a prediction for uh for the suns lakers and for for nuggets um hmm. blazers tonight i still think the lakers are gonna win the series i just think it's hard for me to imagine lebron losing and now that they kind of know ad's not there lebron kind of knows he has to turn into like god mode <laughs> and so i i'm not sure. sure about tonight but i i think that I think I'm still taking the Lakers to win that series reluctantly. Again, I love the Suns. I want to see them go as far as possible. Uh, I think I still think Portland is the upper hand over Denver okay. uh, in general, but we'll see. I uh, I want to close a little bit. 
do do you think he can? He was passive in game four. I don't know if LeBron can. Certainly, if it was anyone other than LeBron James, I would say, like, yeah, it's over. But there have been so many times where he's, like, kind of had a couple of games where he's looked, like, in the background, and then suddenly he explodes and has a huge game. And you know what you're going to see a whole lot more of is what you saw in game three starting the second half, which was a lot of LeBron pick and roll and spread offense and mm-hmm. getting downhill. Uh, again, like, I, 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 I really want the Suns to win. I think there's a path there. I think that's a toss-up, but I have trouble picking against – LeBron. Um, I mean, the one year, it's funny, the one year I picked against LeBron and was like, okay, like, this is his, he's showing his age was 2016 against the Warriors. <laughs> and we saw how well that turned out for me. So I think never <laughs> again. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about, are you even watching the Utah Memphis series at all? I missed last night's game because I was actually out during the day and watched the Sixers Wizards game uh, thereafter when I got home. Didn't see last night, saw the first uh three games okay what are your so what do you think i mean i think it's been a first of all really fun series yeah like that game three was very good it's win win Um, man it's win win because it's making people appreciate the jazz and at the same time understand why you know memphis is going to be trouble moving forward for some teams with a, a few adjustments gets to showcase their young players and that's which is essentially their entire team it's kind of win-win for the NBA community, and it's two smaller markets that don't usually get much uh, yeah. national shine. Yeah, um, I think Game Four kind of played out very similar to Game Three. It did like it's sort of not that you you had to watch Game Four, but like if you saw Game Three, you had a similar idea to how Game Four mm-hmm. went. Got it. You know? Got it. Uh, right, so I, what? It, yeah. Are you are you a little bit surprised? No, I. I'm not surprised by what I'm seeing because, I mean, I remember we talked about it. I said after that game one win, over under one and a half more wins, I'm taking the under for Memphis. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't quite have the guts to say Jazz in five, but that was kind of what I was thinking. Okay. I am a little surprised that Memphis is scoring as easily as they are against the Jazz. And Gobert, against a team that you would think, like, he's pretty well suited to, has not necessarily been got because he's still a massive presence and has been a massive positive. But there have been more moments than I expected where Morant, where some of these other guys have been able to get the best of him in pick and roll. And I'm a little surprised he's had foul Mm. trouble issues. I'm a little, it's gone a little worse for him than I thought it would. Uh, What do you think about this? Why does that surprise you? I I feel like when there, whenever there's like uh, a guard who's both, good at the pull-up game as well as the penetration game, it compromises him. It puts him well, in. Right. Well, one reason is I didn't think John Morant was good at the pull-up game. <laughs> okay, yeah. Sure, sure. I mean, the pull-up game is a little different for him. His floater game has range. So it's like somewhere between a floater and a, and a pull-up. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I mean, so that has surprised also, me. Memphis has annoying players too, man. I, I don't, you know, they have guys who you clearly get under your skin and, you know, Brooks is good at that. I think Kevin, um, Kyle, Kyle Anderson, Kyle, Kyle. Yeah. Um, I get Kevin is the tennis South African tennis player. Anyhow, Kyle Anderson, um, because he's just like this, they have a different rhythm. Like every one of the Memphis players plays at a completely different rhythm than the next one on their team, which can, that can create some, I think, mm-hmm. interesting defensive, you know, matchups and, right. and at the same time, you know, just the way that you defend them as a whole. 
they're I, also I, I they're pretty interchangeable. Yeah, they're they interchangeable are. too. So like you're seeing Jaron Jackson at the five a lot more than you yeah. did in the regular season. Plus, He's like with the end. Yeah, and then the the Anderson thing, like you're replacing him with Desmond Bain, who's just a totally yep. different player, and Melton's good, coming in. I yeah, Bain is really good. Heck of a rookie there, man. Like he's got some. They have a really good young core. I don't know what Memphis's moves are this off season or what they do. Um, maybe you trade Jackson. Um, I don't. Why know. do you need to do anything? I, well, because I don't know the answer to that. Maybe if if I told you that the Clippers lose next round and Paul George is available to them i i don't know I, why would paul george want to why does paul george want to go to memphis because they're not a playoff team next year in a regular season where the warriors are a regular basketball team again you sure i don't know probably that. maybe not i mean they're they're a fringe eight seed i mean why does any team make a move when they have young talent uh, you know like that is kind of a more of a uh, that's more of one of those like a, a well, like who, whose contract is coming up that like is going to get too expensive soon? Yeah, I mean, no one yet, and they're lucky too because they have you know guys who are picked late. That not lucky. They made great selections right. and guys like Brooks. Um, no, no one, right? I mean, I guess JB is their highest paid player. I guess um, Jackson's the answer, really. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Cause he's I what, I would be, pick. and I think I think Jack put it in the chat. He's right. Like mm-hmm. he's looked better as a five, and this is. This has kind of uh, been a lost year for him. Like I expect to bounce back next year with you know, sure, to come sure. back in with all those injuries. Well, he had a, uh, she had a very specific injury with a very specific uh, surgery and rehabilitation that you know we've seen players not right. come back from in their careers and fears right. and faults and so. Yeah, I, back, but it's different. Yeah, yeah, I would take a mulligan on how he's playing. Uh, good question here. Um, Memphis deserves Beal next to Ja. Yeah, I, I'm going to kick you. I'm going I'm to kick you out of the chat for that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that would be great. Yeah, so it would be so nice. Yeah. It would be so nice. So, how did I got a question? Um, Billy asked in the chat, like, how does he compare to Wall year two? Um, hmm. I do see a lot of Wall in Ja's game, but Ja is so Wall was just like sort of so turbocharged all the time. So like he could like if if you pluck John Wall from year two into this series, what I think would happen is that he would just plow into Gobert over and over and he'd have like a couple amazing finishes and he'd probably have a rough rim percentage. The thing about Ja that I've surprised that's been surprising to me, more so not because I knew he couldn't do this, but more so with the way that it's worked against Gobert, is that in a lot of the ways like how Luca does it, mm. you know, when he stops, it's almost he's more dangerous. So he'll stop suddenly. He'll like decoy a floater, or he'll just jump in the air and like kind of wait for, um, wait for traffic to clear. And for whatever reason, like that little like kind of feigning is getting Gobert a little off his kilter. Like I've seen Gobert go for more fakes than I remember him usually going for. He's usually more disciplined. Maybe he was overreacting to the way Ja played in Game Two, but I. Because ultimately, Jaws, even though he's made a couple more pull-ups, like that is still a big weakness of his, like in terms of sure. pull-up three. Like his footwork, I think you saw his limitations at the end of game four in particular. But I've been surprised by how well Memphis has been able to decoy their own floaters, kind of do little things like when they get past the original point of attack, the type of stuff that Rudy just snuffs out so easily. They're throwing little fakes at him, and they're 
creating small creases, whether it's to kick out to a shooter to get an open floater or for JV to get an offensive rebound, it's been a little easier for them to do that than I thought it would. And I don't know yeah. if it means says more about Gobert or if it says more about Memphis yet. It's interesting. And I know we've gone back and forth on the comp, right? Like I know you threw out John Wall. I have another friend of mine, and I think you also said this, said some kind of mix of Wall and Rose. And, and I see a lot of, I see a lot of Iverson creativity uh, around the basket as yeah. well. You know, Did you see that finish he had in Gun Gobert last night? Um, maybe you haven't seen it where he's like, uh, he basically yeah. like kind of jumps all the way into him from one side of the paint to the other and then just like turns his body and mm. finishes with his left hand. Basically, their heads are back to back. It was an I mean, amazing play. I mean, he's he's an incredible athlete with with a lot of creativity. I think I think that kind of yeah, he he excites me. I think he's different. I always thought of Wall as being uh, incredibly fast without being incredibly quick. Maybe you could tell me I'm wrong. I, no, I think that makes perfect sense. I right. mean, he's I, he's yeah. very fast one zero once he gets full speed, but he never right. was quite as good as Jai as like going from zero to sixty to zero. It, it, or, More so, I think sixty to zero. I was gonna say or or zero to sixty or sixty to zero in a three foot space. And that's the Derrick Rose explosiveness that you see. Right. In, you know, young Rose where it's you know, give him an inch and he's already exploded past you. Again, being able to stop is an incredible incredibly important part of being able to start going again. Um and so, you know, there's all these I think about if you think about the way that Andre Miller played the game from the same position, but mm-hmm. then do that with incredible athleticism. That's what I see: the ability to kind of stop, start, make, <laughs> your, make your slowest become the fastest, the quickest. Um, and you know, that's there's a you lot might of NFL be the, really. interesting. You might be the only person on yeah. earth to compare Andre Miller to John Morant. Yeah, but I, I mean, see look, where you're going with it. I see yeah, where you're going with it. It's a body. It's a way you control your body to create the space to then use whatever it is that you have in athleticism. And again, Andre Miller was incredible at making 20 miles per hour look like 100 because he was only going two miles per hour to start with. But right. I also want to throw out that when I used to watch Andre Miller train um, at Hacks, he would literally train in jeans. He would just come <laughs> and put, like in regular pants and play pickup in just like street clothes, like legitimate street pants. And then just go have a seat. Never stretched any of that shit. Like, yeah, I always so, was a huge fan. That's amazing. Ben, so for those <laughs> who don't know, Ben used to work at um, – what exactly is Hex? Uh, Hex was a, uh, a non-affiliated NBA training facility in, in South Central and Hawthorne in, in Los Angeles. And I got to be the, the head of basketball ops right when it was was created. It was awesome. It was great. So he's seen a lot of these pros up close. But, yeah. Um, someone asked well, in the chat uh, about the Clippers, Jazz. Yeah, Clippers, Jazz, Mike. What are your thoughts on that? So I think I I think that the series has been pretty encouraging for the Jazz in general. Outside of that little element, um, their offense is clicking. Donovan mm-hmm. Mitchell. I mean, like if Donovan Mitchell doesn't get held out of Game One, like we may not, we probably don't have a Game Five. Yeah, it's a sweep, probably. You know, and and that was a controversial decision. You wonder if that was something where the Jazz were penny wise and pound foolish, mm-hmm. and not just letting him play. But I don't know. There's a lot going on there, but. I mean, he's been – they can't guard him at all in this series. He has been – he looks better right now in his minutes than I've ever seen him play. He looks like he can do literally whatever he wants. And one of the reasons for that is that they're finding Moran on defense, finding Valanciunas on defense. I mean, obviously, they're, they're really it's more important to say they're finding Morant because as long as Valanciunas is in, like he's going to be in the play because of Gobert. Mm-hmm. They're finding one of those guys, and basically whether it's Mitchell or, 
or or Conley, like they're just kind of finding him and that guy is going to work in the pick and roll. And the balance that Mitchell has shown, I mean, sometimes we talk about it, like sometimes he tries to do too much. In this series, he has not tried to do too much at all. He has deferred appropriately to Conley while still being the man when it matters. He's got that pace and tempo down pat. And in a Clippers series where one of the things that the Jazz do really well is they just have a lot of guys that can attack a pick and roll, and they've got the best screen setter. The Clippers have great defenders, and they have terrible defenders. They kind of mm-hmm. don't really have a lot in between. So, like, if Reggie Jackson is on the floor, or even Beverly, I I think it's really encouraging the way they're doing this against Memphis to see how well Conley and Mitchell are finding that guy and then crushing them. And, whatever, and getting whatever they want. And that, of course, triggers all the other stuff Utah does. So, I, you know, the Gobert factor on the other end is going to be really interesting, obviously, if where if they go small, the Clippers, if they stay with the small lineup. But as far as, like, offensively, like, the Jazz should feel really good about their offense being as unstoppable as it's been the last three games against the Clippers. Like, I see no reason why the Clippers won't be able to guard them any easier than Memphis could. But maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe I'm being, I'm gaining a little too giddy. No, no, I mean, look, if, if you're a Jazz fan, you have to be really excited that the team that was arguably, if not easily, the best team in the NBA when healthy this year is is getting healthy. And, uh, you know, you haven't seen a healthy Connolly and a healthy Mitchell play together in, what, three months? Um, and so that, that, that bodes well. Connolly's also been fantastic um, mm-hmm. in, in this series. And I think, you know, again, can't appreciate that guy enough, but he, he is still the glue to this, to, to that team. It also makes guys like Clarkson and Ingles that much better when they can actually be the sixth and seventh men uh, and provide you the type of, of um, you know, offensive sparks you need without having to necessarily worry about controlling the tempo. Like well, Joe Clarkson's going to try anyway. Yeah, he's going to do his best. <laughs> like, right. That's like the one thing I don't – like. I know he's the sixth man of the year, but like, I just every time I watch him, I'm like, it's just a little too much Clarkson going on here. <laughs> that's, um, so, that's the way he likes it, yeah. Yeah, also encouraging, Royce O'Neal looks really good hitting spot-up threes. He's obviously the offensive weak point. Uh, but you need him for defense. And so if he's able to play this well offensively, I think a lot of that is tied back to Mitchell. Now, theoretically, yes, he will not just get these easy pull-ups against the Clippers, but I think he might get better. Like he might be able to get to the rim. On defense, I, I guess it still is a question. I mean, Gobert, the way Gobert's played in this series does not make me feel that optimistic about how he'd play in a Clippers series because I've said all along that I think Gobert is capable of chasing small lineups, but he doesn't always do it. And he, he's, he's, I think he's, he gets too caught up in him being a rim protector and you're seeing some balance issues in this series. And now you're going to spread those balance issues out even more for mm-hmm. a lot on a wider surface. So I don't know. I just, I'll, I'll, I think I would give, make the jazz slight favors in that series. Interesting. Well, home court advantage. Utah's got a full home court. I do not believe the Los Angeles teams are going to have anything close to that, maybe 50% capacity um, by the second round. So things like that will maybe matter. I don't know. Yeah. I, I'm interested to see that series play out, but that being said, you know, one of those series is about to be over and the other one's still at two, two. We'll see what happens. That, that, that could also right. play into this if one ends tomorrow and the, uh, and the other doesn't, you know? Right. Right. Also, I mean, look, if it is somehow Dallas, if they like that's not, you have similar problems if you're Utah. Right. 
Yep. So certainly sure. with Luca. I mean, again, if you're struggling when John Morant's picking up his dribble and kind of manipulating you with your, his eyes when you come off a pick and roll, like now Luca's going to do that. Like that's scary. Right. And that's a team, obviously, now to bring this whole discussion full circle. If Dallas plays Utah, now suddenly there's a role for Porzingis. That's right. That's right. Yeah, matchups, man. It's a matchup sport. It really is. Does anyone who's in the chat have anything else they want to talk about before we head on out of here? I'm going to give folks a, a minute. Feel free to make a speaker request if you want to come on the show. Uh, feel free to just put something in the chat. Uh, I'm going to give folks a second. Uh, I see there are a number of you guys in here. Um, but all right. All right. This is – how do you pronounce them? Sorry. Kadar? Yes, yes, it's uh, Kadar Ibrahim. Kadar, how are you? Good, how are you guys doing? Good, good. What's going on? Well, I, I guess I just wanted to talk about what you guys are expecting for the Lakers' son. Sorry, maybe I might have missed it earlier on in the chat, but mm-hmm. um, what are you guys expecting for tonight? I'm, I'm not a Lakers or a Suns fan, but I... I'm just kind of really intrigued by that series, and especially with all the injuries going on right now, it just seems like the series basically flipped in Game Four when it looked like it was inevitable that the Lakers were just going to take it. So, yeah. Um, I mean, from my perspective, I think LeBron can have an all-time game tonight, and I still think the Suns are probably going to win that game because the Lakers don't have enough scoring. Um, but it can also be a very, very sluggish defensive game, and. Phoenix can be really tentative. Uh, yeah. yeah. What do you What do you What do you guys see? I'll let you handle that one, Mike. Yeah, yeah. We. Um, I think it's. I think you have a pretty good read on it. I. I do think that while Davis's injury is obviously a huge deal, there's very few bigger Anthony Davis fans than me. I think sometimes I'm too big an Anthony Davis fan. I do think that just knowing that he's not there. I guess is he officially ruled out, or did he just did he just? Uh, but he's, I mean, you're gonna many of you will listen to this after the fact, but uh, I mean, look, yeah, the, the Suns are five point favorites, so Vegas has a good idea of this. I'd say. Okay, so they they know he's out, so now at least they can like craft a game plan from the jump that involves more LeBron pick and roll downhill. That tell you he he knows like I've got to step up now. Whereas if when it happened mid game, I think they didn't really know for a while what to do. They were kind of in a bit of a shell shock, particularly to start that third quarter. I think that will help the Lakers. I think LeBron, I agree with you. He's got at least one, like, I'm not losing this game. I'm going to be doing everything game in him. Tempo, I think is the big key. CP, but one of the biggest reasons that was key that he looked healthy in game four was they were really pushing the ball off misses and makes and running up the floor. They did that in game one, two, game three, game two, he couldn't really dribble the same way. And the game became a half court slog and the Lakers will win the half court slog every time, even though the Suns the sun's grind, the Lakers grind bigger, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's something I, I think that's key. So I, I think, um, I still think the Lakers will pull it out. I don't know about tonight, but I, I still think the Lakers are pulling the series out. But I think it it's definitely a, a toss-up. I I would be very surprised if tonight is not close. Yeah, I mean it it could it could definitely go it tonight can definitely go either way. I just don't think the Lakers have enough scoring and enough shooting to really threaten the Suns right now, especially like if 
especially, you know, they're not going to dominate them with their size if AD's not there. Like, it's just, you know, they're just going to basically put all these centers in pick rolls, and I I just don't think they can keep up with them at that point, uh, especially now that, you know, the Suns have figured out, hey, like, we got to speed up the pace because these guys are huge, you know, like. Right. And, like, we got we got we to gotta run here because if we don't, they're just going to dominate us with, with their size. Right. And, um, yeah, that's, that's sort of what I'm seeing. You might be right. I think a lot obviously depends on how healthy LeBron is, and that's still very unclear. But, I mean, the thing about running is, like, it, it, it. the reason it's such a tempo game is that even without, like, all that shooting, it's not like LeBron needs a, that large a window to fit some passes in. And if he's attacking the basket and drawing fouls, it just it crawls the game to the tempo to a slog. So it really depends. I mean, it really depends on whether – the Suns are able to keep that, like, get stops. If they can force jumpers, then they can maybe run off them. Uh, but I think there's there's a diff- – even without AD, there's still a very good possibility that LeBron will just kind of do – really do, like, a 2015 finals act where he's just, like, marching the ball down the post. It's just it, – the, the entire game is a slog, and the running – game of Phoenix is, I mean, because Phoenix's half-court offense is itself a huge, can be a huge slog. So, I don't know. It, it'll be very interesting to see. Uh, I don't know, Ben, if you uh, you think that I'm giving the Lakers too much of a chance no, in this series. I, no, and I also think that this tonight matters in, in a lot of ways. But number one, uh, specifically, they, they, the Lakers win, then you don't have to necessarily bring Anthony Davis back for the next game. You, in theory, could let him try to get yeah. a little bit healthier, you know, and then why would you? Well, why would you not play him during a closeout game and save him for a road? Well, I guess you're right. I mean, I mean it, it all comes down to health, but I think you know one thing's for sure: they've been the Lakers this year have been careful about rushing both guys back, specifically Anthony Davis. Um, and the groin injuries suck because they're incredibly easy to reaggravate. Um, it's yeah, a difficult muscle to strain. It's also in the center part of your body. All kinds of aspects of it are easily easily re-triggered. Um, I will say, again, just looking at lines and stuff, because Vegas is always so good at this, LeBron's over-under tonight is 27 and a half. It's been around the, the lower 20s, 22, 23, for the first part of the series. So I would take the over. I'm taking the over. a big LeBron, and it's a minus 140 for 27 and a half. So that's, a, that's to say that, you know, hmm. that's, that's the favorite thing there. Um, interesting game. I mean, like, I, I also think there's a world where you're going to get a weird big performance tonight from one of the one of two guys, either Schroeder or, or Kuzma. I could see Kuzma having a bigger game tonight, too, knowing that he's kind of he's kind of due. He's incredibly due. And, you know, they just spent a day using him as a more of a primary scorer. Uh, right. I'd ima- I'd what imagine is he that- like? Seven for twenty-seven, I think, from the for the, for the series right now. Some, some, some awful, like some awful percentage. Yeah, yeah. And, and Truder was really yeah. good in game two, um, you know, as well. So again, part of that is obviously to do with Chris Paul's health and and there's good there's question though. There. Yeah, so I would look for that and and uh, also last game, not for nothing, but Jay Crowder played better than he's played since he played in the bubble for Miami last year, and that mattered because Crowder is not afraid to take shots, and that can be a blessing and a curse. Uh, the first <laughs> he, games. he raised uh, his percentage up to seventeen percent. I saw that. Like literally the greatest thing in the world. It went from two right. for twenty-one to like. <laughs> three for eight just for that game yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. and that's basketball pretty, for you like you know yeah. Crowder's a veteran he will continue to take those shots I'd imagine that 
um, you know, got, you know, guys like Crowder, Craig, et cetera, um, got to play LeBron as physical as possible. My, my thing for the Suns has always been, it's great to put bridges on him in theory, but he's a little bit too small and it, it's better to have yeah. a leaning guy, someone who could put a little bit more physicality into Bron and make each possession really wear on him offensively. Because, you know, at the end of the day too, defensively, LeBron is going to have to put a lot out there as well. This is a team that's going to play Andre Drummond, Schroeder and Kuzma potentially on the court at the same time. That's I think what's a good defensive lineup. Yeah, what's what's good about Bridges is that he. I think the one thing that Brown doesn't really like is that you pressure him up the court. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if you pressure him up the court, you can wear him down throughout the game, right? Sure, sure. So I think yeah. Bridges is really, really good at that part, and I think you can sort of interchange with Crowder to basically have a physical guy when it comes yep. to the fourth quarter. Uh, yeah. But I guess the, the one thing now is like, do you guys really believe that LeBron has this like? downhill effect because it just doesn't seem to be having that burst to me right it, put it this way i wouldn't i would i wouldn't say that it's there hiding for any other player <laughs> yeah. um we did see a little bit of it in game three in the second half i thought that was that was a i think we could see that over the course of a whole game it's definitely uh, it's possible it's not there you're right i mean look it's possible there is a lot of like but LeBron in this, I've seen it for maybe like a few possessions in like throughout games. I just haven't seen it consistent and like That's... putting down no pressure on. Right? In game three, they they came out of that first half and they were like, "Okay, we're spamming LeBron AD pick and roll, and LeBron is just getting downhill." And I thought that I, I don't know how long they did it for exactly, but that changed the game. That was what was the difference in the game. Now, can he do it over a full game? I mean. Like I'm just not doubting the guy quite yet, but yeah, I mean, I I don't doubt him either. I just I just think <laughs> yeah, you're right. He just he hasn't looked he just hasn't looked good to me. So yeah, I, I hear you. Um, yeah. This is yeah. great. Thank you for uh, yeah. jumping thanks on. For, uh, yeah, thanks so much, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, take thank you. Um, good question in the chat yeah. about Milwaukee, Brooklyn. I think we're gonna have plenty of time to digest that one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All I'll say I, is I think I think I'm picking Milwaukee in that series. I think I'm gonna, I think I'm ready to do it. Even though I've watched the Nets play Boston, like it's still like they're still winning because they just have better shot makers. Yeah. You know, I'm not seeing a whole lot that's like, oh, that's like they're really coming together here. I mean, dude, Boston's not. There's no parallels that are going to be drawn series to series. Just sort right. of on the same page. Like there, there's absolutely none, none now, specifically because the Celtics are are legitimately banged up and probably were completely outgunned even way before that. So no parallels there. Uh, I, I will say it got me thinking someone tweeted the other day and I wish I can give credit about what would this Bucks team be like if the Bogdanovich deal had just gone. Through? Oh my God. Yeah. Right. They'd be holy so crap. <laughs> I know. Like, yeah. You know, so that's just one of those. What ifs uh, the NBA is, is chalked uh, full with, but um, yeah, look, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited for that series. There's a really good argument to be made, probably not even difficult one to make that those are the two best teams in the NBA. And right now, and playing each other in 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 what amounts to a, maybe a do or die situation for the Bucks, uh, for for uh, their coaching staff, for the Nets' legacy of this ridiculous trio they put together. Um, mm-hmm. It's a lot of good stuff. There's so many good uh, aspects to that, and hopefully, uh, you know, we get the series that we all anticipate. Um, but that being said, like I'm not sure I'm there yet with the Bucks. I think I'm still leaning towards. Kevin Durant's the best player on the court, no matter who is on there. And that includes every time he's ever played against 
LeBron, even including the Oklahoma City series, um, uh, back in. I just we, I, we I, don't need I, to relitigate this. We don't. But I hold Durant in a regard that I don't think. Who do you think was better in the 2012 yeah. Finals? I mean, Le, LeBron. LeBron's the answer um, uh, to, so, to so that, that one. So that other, that other directly that, defies okay. your presence. But other than that, Katie's sort of just. He has his way in the playoffs, man. It's a half court game and he can get any shot he wants. The other guy in the history of this league in my in my time that is the you know, the best one on one player, I, I I look at Katie and Kyrie. The two of them arguably are the two guys who can get any shot they want and make it a good one. And they're on the same team. Um, yeah, but sometimes we'll see. I mean sometimes <laughs> like sometimes there's too much abundance leaves you elsewhere yeah, uh, right, i don't know right. what i'm saying but I, I anticipate Giannis feasting in that series i anticipate the same thing for um for the big three on the nets it's just like which one i don't know out. if the big three is going to feast in that series i think Ooh, see, i think i, I, think I do. don't think they will i mean i think you, you can't put Bryn forbes in that in, in okay missing so dante is going to hurt a lot um you know Dante's i think it'll hurt a little one. I think it'll hurt a little. We'll, I don't think we'll, it'll let's hurt wait a lot. Till that, let's wait to to that. We'll do another another okay. on that for sure. Yeah, just to answer the question directly, closing five. I would. I wonder who the Nets are going to like. How healthy is Jeff Green coming back? I think that's actually like, kind of a big that? deal. Like it's plantar fasciitis, isn't it? Like, right. Like why? Yeah. Why is for that Nets team? Like isn't Jeff Green just as important as Divincenzo is from Milwaukee? Like why are we panicking about the Divincenzo injury just because we know it's out? He's out for a while. Um, I don't know, Jeff. Yeah. Being out, I think, is a that hurts them. It does hurt them. Jeff Green matters. It makes you know it matters because then you actually have to lean on Blake more. And Blake in short spurts is a lot better than Blake for twenty five thirty minutes. Right, right, yeah. Um, as the other, um, you know, and the other guys, Claxton and Johnson off the bench, they're young, unproven, and and not going to be the difference makers in this series. Although I would anticipate Claxton having a bigger role in the Buck series just for size purposes. Um, Size Maybe. and, and fouls, Maybe. you know, can't can't forget that. But look, if Giannis is shooting well, I don't know. So many different parts of that matchup are, are fun to break down. We'll, we'll get we'll get very much into it later for sure. Right? Oh, we can we couldn't help ourselves, Ben. I <laughs> like I couldn't help myself. We could, and it's just so exciting. Um, it is. Well, right. anyway, thank you so much to everybody for coming in and enjoying the chat with us. Uh, enjoy the rest of the playoffs, Ben. I hope Joel and Beat is okay. Yeah, me too. <laughs> As Thanks, a basketball Mike. fan, I uh, yeah. this wizard seems as toast anyway. I kind of don't really care about this series in that way. Sure. Like, I don't want Joel to be injured, so we have a better chance of completing the three zero comeback. Right, I really right. care. So I hope he's healthy. Uh, hope everybody else's favorite team is healthy and puts out a good effort. Yeah, and that's about it. See you all next week at three. We'll do another live chat uh, during a game sometime this week uh, on Twitter spaces. Until then, thanks for joining us. Bye, Mike.